0: You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey everybody, as we approach the end of 2016, I just want to wish everyone a happy, happy 2017. Happy New Year to everybody. Here's hoping you accomplish everything you want to accomplish in 2017. I know you can. Now, on with the podcast. I want to be a producer with a hit show on Broadway. I want to be... Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Producers Perspective Podcast and another first here. Not only do we have two guests today, but we have siblings on the podcast. Please welcome to the podcast the Tony Award winning producers and merchandise makers, founders of the Araka Group, Michael and Matthew Rego. Welcome, guys. Thank you, Ken. Thank you, Ken. Good to be here. So the Brothers Rigo and their company burst onto the scene with Town, which they moved from the Fringe Festival to Off-Broadway and then to Broadway, which I think is probably the Fringe Festival's greatest success still. I think still to so this day. To this day. Yeah. They also produced a revival of Frankie and Johnny, which were cooped in six weeks. Pretty fast. Yes. Back Back in That's the true. Back in the old days. That's true. not yeah, some yeah. No. fake news no, story. No, no, no. no, no That's that real. That's yeah. true. Yeah. Currently developing The Sting for Broadway, announced a unique partnership with Hasbro to develop some of their brands at the musicals, including Monopoly. They've been producing partners on a ton of shows, from The Vagina Monologues to Wicked and countless others, and their entrepreneurial vision along the way saw space in the market to create a merch company, and well, now they outfit half of Broadway attendees with T-shirts and paraphernalia and all sorts. There's an alphabet ornament, I just saw it. It's Christmas tree in the lobby here. <laughs> so guys, let's start at the beginning. How did you get started with producing, or even get bit by the theater bug? Well, he always does the first part. I'll so do the easier. first part, Matthew. Yeah. Will correct. Old? I'm, Michael's I'm old. That's why he goes. Yeah. First. He go first. He go first. he has to go first. He might not make it through this. So, yeah, you know, yeah. This could be the last. This concert. could be it. We started. It will be 20 years in July uh, wow. that we started the Iraka Group. The Iraqa Group really came out of a passion for theater that Matthew and I and our third partner, Hank Unger, had since we were kids. You know, we grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. We put on shows in the basement, in the local community theater. We all did a production of The Music Man together in 1985. And, you know, we studied theater in college. Matthew went to Michigan. Hank and I went to Syracuse. We were actors, directors, musicians. Came to New York, really, with that like so many of us, with that idea that, hey, we're going to work in theater somehow. And as we got to New York and started doing our stuff, we started, uh, you know, putting on our own shows. We started a not-for-profit theater company called Upstream Productions and rented, you know, crummy little basements and abandoned garages and all that stuff that you do when you're starting out. And the more we kept putting on our own shows that we might be acting in or directing or whatever, the more we realized that what we actually were good at was the instigating the project, the coming up with an idea and getting a bunch of people to go from A to B, which we learned was producing, right? We liked producing the show even more than actually trying to be the artistic creatives within the show. So cut to a couple of years later, Matthew got his MBA. I went and got a law degree. And um, it was, you know, 1997. And, we were, you know, we had these degrees, but we had this passion for theater. So we said, what are we going to do? Are we going to get jobs? You know, mm-hmm. I don't know what jobs you get. Or, or, <laughs> or are we going to try to take this not-for-profit concept and say, hey, can we try to do this and make some money? Can we create a commercial Apple Production Company. And those of you who have been around long enough, back in the day, off-Broadway, you could sort of make some money doing it. I've heard you talk about it time and time again, but we were kind of in that sweet spot in the uh, mid-90s when there were shows being produced that you could envision recouping, you could envision getting your money back for investors, and you could say, wow, this might actually work. So we started very small shows off-Broadway way, but with some great young playwrights. Uh, our first show was a play by David Auburn called Skyscraper. It was the show right before Proof, <laughs> sadly. <laughs> but it was good enough that, you know, we got some great actors involved with it, great designers. We did well enough that we could do it again. I mean, a lot of the contacts we made in those early days are still the people we work with today. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, uh, Bono Brian Brown, Mm-hmm. allowed us to use one of their you know, associate press agents to help us out on mm-hmm. Skyscraper. We've used Bono O'Brien on it every show ever since. Yeah. Right? Because mm-hmm. they had no reason to do that you know, other than they were generous and kind guys and mm-hmm. and really helped us out. And David Auburn was is the guy who actually introduced us to Urintown at the Fringe Festival because he yeah. went to college with Ray Kodis and Mark Holman at the University of Chicago. And it kind of goes on and on. Even like people who came to see Skyspaper downtown. Because because of the Bone O'Brien-Brown connection, we got like 10 reviews in major newspapers for our first off-off-broadway play. You know, the New York Times, Daily News, The Post, Newsday, they all reviewed it because we had Bone O'Brien-Brown stationery, basically. And that really put us on the map in such a great way that those relationships, even our first investors, because when we did the Vagina Monologues a couple of years later, which was the first show we ever... Went out to outside people for capital, and we said, "Here's our business plan. We believe in this show. We believe that it can actually recoup and run them off Broadway." And those investors were all there opening night at Skyway, and they're like, "You guys are doing something that we believe in." And those six investors in Vagina Monologues have invested in every other show we've done ever since. So we made up a lot of money with that Vagina Monologues. Yes. well, David Stone helped. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so I heard this story about David Auburn and calling you about Urinetown. So really, the success of Urinetown is because, and your success with it, is because you did Skyscraper, which may not have been a huge financial success with you, but planted the seed for your future. 100%. Yeah. 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 I mean, David was critical. I mean, literally, Matthew and I were sharing a one-bedroom apartment in the early days, you know, and David called us up out of the blue at intermission at the Fringe Festival and said, guys, I don't care what you're doing tomorrow night, you're coming to see this show called You're in Child. And luckily for us, we had nothing else going on <laughs> in our lives except it's true. we yeah. wanted a yeah. show to produce on Broadway. Yeah. And uh, when we went down and saw it, we're like, are we crazy or is this our Broadway musical? Cause mm-hmm. so that was, that was the summer before the Vagina Monologues opened off Broadway. So yeah. 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 So yeah. I want to get back to your time in a second, but you mentioned something about going out to folks with your business plan and saying we think this Mm -hmm. will make money. You've got an MBA, you've got a law degree, probably two of the most educated producers we have working on Broadway. Ever. Um, And you use that term business plan, which we actually don't use a lot, Mm -hmm. typical Broadway terminology. Did you approach these shows with like an MBA-type approach to your investors? Did you say to them, here's here's why it's attractive to me, a business guy? Well, I think we always believe that as much as investors in Broadway shows are theater lovers, love the arts, doing it because it's something they're passionate about, ultimately, bottom line, they want to make money, right? And in order for someone to give you money, whether it's a $10,000 investment or... A million dollar investment, they want to see how that money is going to come back to them. And they want to see why they should take a risk on us and what are the criteria that we have to meet in order for them to actually recoup and make a profit. So I think we've always approached it with that sort of MBA mentality. As much as we say people believe in these writers or the message or, or sort of the grander sort of worldview that perhaps the authors are trying to, you know, put across in whatever they've created, It's always with a, a a business mentality because I've said it a million times and I'm sure they're not the only ones, but like, you know, the distance between someone saying, yes, I want to invest in your show and here's my check is great, right? And everyone wants to invest in broader shows, right? But only so many people actually give you their checks and sign the papers. And that was a lesson we learned, you know, I think day one, right off the bat. So you go back to Urine Town, you're, you're seeing this and you go, are we crazy or is this our Broadway musical? Look, that was pretty risky fare for some new kids on the block. What actually made you go, no, 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 this is it. We're going to, we're going to do this and put our first eggs in a basket of a show called Urine Town. Well, you know, I, we genuinely loved the show. And, yeah. I, and when I say we, it was Matthew Hank and myself. I mean, we, we all saw the show and we all had the same experience as lovers of of the art form we thought this was exactly how we felt about it that it both loved it and skewered it at the same time and mark Holman, who wrote the music i had worked with him and david auburn a couple summers before at the berkshire theater festival and i knew this kid back then was really talented and as we were starting just to talk with him and and, and greg and hear their their vision for what they wanted this show to be, we said, this fits exactly into our wheelhouse of what we think we can do with Broadway. Mm-hmm. And We're playing a mark for the epitome of, you know, passionate artists. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They truly believe in what they're doing and what it means to be an artist. And I don't know that they actually dreamed of this show ever going mm-hmm. to Broadway. You know, until we said to them, Hey, would you guys mind if we took this show to Broadway? And they quickly said yes, you know. Although I don't think Greg yeah. actually knew what Broadway meant. Well, Our favorite <laughs> moment was when we, we, you know, our partner on the show, was the Dodgers, and you know, without them, I don't know how we would have done it. But yeah, side by side, we kind of walked down this journey together to say, "Hey, let's take this show to Broadway." And the first day that we introduced Greg to Michael David, we were sitting in there, you know, top of their very high office with all of these Tony Awards and all of this, you know. Theater stuff all around him, and Michael looked very pointedly at Greg and said, Greg, do you believe your show can go to Broadway? And without missing a beat, he said, yes, Michael, yes, I do. And Mark told us right afterwards, he's like, I almost burst out laughing because I know for a fact that Greg's never seen a Broadway musical. Oh true story. Never that's seen one. Never, never, been never, been. Never, never been to a Broadway shop. It was he the one? There was a great New York Times article, a feature yeah. on the show at the time, mm-hmm. that said one of them was still working in a bank or something when the show was oh, in. Mark Mark, Mark Mark was. Mark was. Mark was. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. yeah yeah, of course. yeah, absolutely, of course. Of course. Of course. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's yeah. <laughs> the conversation that we sent Greg to see several yeah, yeah, so ago, just right. so he knew what we were asking of him. Yeah, so I love it, and. Obviously it was a big success. Was it scary for you when it it made because it played the American Theatre for Actors, one of my favorite yes. little off play halls above the courthouse love over it. there. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then just became this little engine that could and, and moved on and on. We were so busy, honestly, at the time and so I think overwhelmed by how hard it was, you know, and how much work had to be done. And I don't know that we ever got scared. I mean, we, we knew we were putting in sort of, use poker terms, it was an all-in moment for us, right? You know, as a company and as young entrepreneurs, because we didn't have vast resources. You know, we were just sort of saying, well, we're going to bet everything we have that this show could be a success. And that's kind of how we've done it, Our whole careers, you know, we didn't, we never produced a show on Broadway. So thankfully, like Michael said, we had the Dodgers as partners because they really showed us the way and were key to that, to the success in every sense. But there was so much to be done. And, you know, you know this, I mean, when you're producing a show on Broadway, it's lucky enough that people say, hey, let's put it on national tour. Let's license it to other countries. Let's do all these. It's like, there's just day in, day out so much to do that you kind of forget about being scared and you just are grateful that you're at the table, you know, and grateful that people are taking your calls and calling you back. You're seasoned vets now as you look back on that experience anything you would have done differently? Oh boy, what could we have done differently? Gosh, I don't know. That it, worked, worked, it, it did was... work out pretty well. Yeah, it worked yeah, out, show. Worked out yeah. great. I mean, it it was fun. Great. I mean, it was, yeah. I, I mean, what a time to be trying to do something, you know, it was right. we were supposed to open the week of 9-11 yeah. and the night, you know, nine eleven happened the night Bruce Weber was supposed to be coming to see our show. So it was, you know, the emotional ups and downs for us, for our country, for our city. I mean, like, they're all wrapped up in that time period for us. So I don't know. You would have stopped 9-11. I that. certainly would have. I would have loved to have stopped nine eleven. So that. after you're in town, you do something very... So Frankie and Johnny comes along, which seems like a totally mm-hmm. different thing for you. You also did Debbie Does Dallas. Yeah. So there's incredible diversity of material. And I'm just mm-hmm. wondering what goes into you choosing material. Is it part of the MBA? I'm going to diversify the portfolio. Is it artist driven? How do you pick projects well, to produce? We used to say, should, we're compelled to produce it. And yeah. how do you know you're compelled <laughs> to produce it? Well, you're compelled to produce it. Frankie and Johnny came out of the fact that we had known Edie Falco for a few years. Matthew had worked on an independent film with her. And she was a lover of Burentown. And she came to the show all the time. and she like saw it on Broadway. We said, Hey, do you want to come opening night? She came opening night. And we had said to her, Do you ever want to do a Broadway show? And she said, I'd love to do a Broadway show. And we said, Okay, well who would you like to do a Broadway show with? Well, you know, I was at a party the other night with Stanley Tucci. He was saying he wants to do a Broadway show. He'd be a great guy doing what. So we were like, Oh, okay, great. We have two artists who want to do something together, so we started thinking of what would be a great show for them, and, and we, we just called call Terrence mm-hmm. out of the blue, mm-hmm. and because I know him briefly from a time when I was an intern from Lynn Meadow at Manhattan Theater Club, mm-hmm. and we said, hey, we want to do Frankie and Johnny, and we think Joe Mantello would be a great director for it, and we think... Edie Falco might want to do it. And she thinks Stanley Tucci might want to do it. What do you think? And he's like, okay. And literally, it was almost that easy on yeah, that. Probably the easiest yeah. show we've ever yeah. had to put together. And we said, well, should we do a reading of it? And he's like, yeah, that'd be great. And Joe's like, okay. And Joe's like, well, should we invite some designers? And we invited Johnny Beatty and Brian McDevitt to come see the show. And they all came and saw it. And we all said this is great, we should produce this on Broadway. And everyone said, okay, great. I mean, it literally happened kind of like that. And then when Joe got in the room, Edie and Stanley, it was, they were all sort of finishing each other's sentences, you know, and they were really working so well together. And I think Edie and Stanley were just sort of, you know, I wish they would do another play together one day, because they were kind of made for each other, you know, and just in terms of energy and, uh, and what they brought to it. And it was just a magical experience. Us. And, you know, obviously, it didn't hurt that Edie was kind of at the peak of her Sopranos fame right as we were opening on Broadway. It doesn't, that's why we've been cooped in six weeks, I would yeah, think. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, <laughs> yeah. timing is everything, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, that was fortuitous, and I wish we could say that we did that exactly on purpose, but you know, scheduling yeah. kind of worked out fortuitously, and she opened as that season of Sopranos was relaunching, so there was kind of, is so we're going to circle back to the producing a bit, but I want to I want to slide over into your other big venture. And I'm mm-hmm. sitting right now in your offices, which sprawl mm-hmm. over this giant floor and this warehouse on the, on the West Side, probably the largest office of any Broadway producer. Wouldn't think about it. Sounds like too much overhead. <laughs> yes. okay. okay, reduce, <laughs> reduce. But it is the offices I'm sure that the, the merchandise company yes. built. So tell me about this. You have you know what may be the largest merchandising company on Broadway. How did that come about? And w- what was the instinct of your, on your part to say like, Oh, this is an area we want to get into that we see a space for and we think we can do great things with it. I think we were first inspired to kind of dabble in merchandising back when we were launching the producing side and we were looking at other verticals and saying, okay, what else can we do? So we were like, Oh, let's do marketing, do general management. There, we need merchandising here. So, and really, it was all kind of self-generating because these are all stuff we wanted to do ourselves to keep everything inside, to kind of learn the business. And, you know, Matthew and I grew up in a retail family. You know, our family had a grocery chain. So, like, we grew up going to stores and working in stores and talking with our dad about how to merchandise as a verb, not as a noun, how to merchandise the store. Where should the cantaloupes go? How much should milk be? You know, all that kind of stuff that goes into having a supermarket. But, you know, obviously we wanted to get away from that (laughs) and do something cool like show business. But as we were watching merchandising in our, you know, you know, off Broadway or Broadway sphere, we're like, well, it's lacking something. And, you know, there were you know, merch I think for a while had been sort of the the bastard stepchild off to the side, you know, and you get a crappy black T-shirt and you get a thumb thumbjack and you put it on that corkboard, and that's called a merch booth. And we're like, yeah, it should be better than that. There should be a marketing vision behind merchandising. It's one great way to be able to communicate with your audience and hopefully in a way that continues past that show. We always approach merchandising as we approach the producing of the show itself, mm-hmm. right? And So when you're creating a show for Broadway, you're thinking about the experience that the audience has from the moment the curtain goes up until the moment the orchestra finishes playing as they walk out of the theater, right? And we looked at merchandising as an extension of that, right? So the moment your audience walks through the door, they're beginning to enter the world of the show, whether it's uh, Wicked or it's... Jersey Boys or whatever the musical is you're doing, that begins the moment they enter that theater. And we felt like we had an opportunity to do it in a way that took that experience beyond just those three hours they spent in the theater, but hopefully they talked about it the next day with a friend, or they talked about it when they went on vacation and some said, what is that t-shirt you're wearing? Or why does that notebook you have in your hand? Or whatever it is. And if that conversation could happen, that water cooler moment could happen again and again and again. It's advertising that didn't cost you anything, actually. You made money from it. And so that's we really, I think that was one of our cornerstone. Yeah, I think we wanted to create a merchandising company as if producers were running it, as opposed to a vendor. Yes, we are vendors at times, but I like to think that we're vendors who think of it like how we as a producer would want our merchandising either. From the display to the quality of the goods to the artistry behind it, you know, for us those are all great, big, lofty ideas. Until we were lucky enough to be a co-producer on Wicked, and with Wicked we got the merchandising too. And for us, we did the merchandising not only here in New York, but we did it on a global basis. What does that mean? I meant instead of just three guys in a room, suddenly we have a whole bunch of more people working with us because from the get-go we wanted to sort of bring in house as much of the process of merchandising as we could so that we kind of had our quality control over it. So what that means in house design team, operational team, product development, you know, we own a screen printer in California. We have a big warehouse out there and we're making stuff. So every day we're making lots and lots of T shirts, sweatshirts, hats, whatever. And and doing it on a global basis was something that was a huge opportunity for us as well, you know, because Wicked went to the UK or went to Germany or went to Japan or went to Australia. We set up businesses in all those countries and we just figured, we'd figure it out when we got there. Yeah. That's my big question. You didn't have any experience in fashion before this or manufacturing. Well, you see the way I dress, can is <laughs> pretty obvious, I think. <laughs> yeah, But so no no experience in manufacturing anything, yet you, you said, oh, I'm going to, we're going to build a merch company. And then we're gonna globalize it and just mm. figure it out. You know, what made you think? Oh, we we can do this, and we can be leaders of in the industry. We we, well, luckily, it we didn't have to start being a leader, right? All we really had to do was figure out Wicked, right? And that, in and of itself, was a big mountain to climb initially, but it was a but there was an opportunity, right? And mm-hmm. I think that anything that we did was we saw an opportunity and we went for it, right? We saw that Wicked was this, you know, after. You know, the first year on Broadway, it was obvious it was going to continue to grow and be successful. We didn't know how successful it would be, but I think at every turn we were able to say, oh, well, it's going to go to London. We have to figure that out there. Because if it is as successful in London as it is in the U.S., maybe we can do it for other people, do it for other shows, do it for, we can talk about, you know, we're doing it for rock and roll now. And so you sort of see an opportunity and seize it and exploit it as much as you possibly can. And then be grateful that it's, you know, you're, you're doing it with a show like, like Wicked, and we can then translate that to, you know, other shows, other bands, other merchandise opportunities. Yeah. I noticed this on your website. And this is again, one of the things I love about your business brains is that you're one of the few companies that provide services to Broadway that actually have been able to step outside of Broadway from bands to. The Rangers, is that right? I'm staring yep. at a Star Wars T-shirt, yep. Playboy, even at one point. Is that yes, true? yes, yes. So, how did that happen? And again, what made you think, oh, we, we can now just do this for other people, and they'll, they'll they'll buy what we're selling? I mean, I guess it's kind of a business school concept to diversify, right? And as we were looking at the Broadway landscape and saying, well, there are 39 or 40 theaters or 41 theaters, you know, it's not like we're going to go to 50 theaters or 60 theaters or 70 theaters for Broadway. The amount of Broadway shows that we can potentially be doing the merch for Mm -hmm. is finite. But yet we have all these great people who work with us. You know, I mean, we have really an amazing group of people. Very passionate. They love what they do. And they're young. And yes, they love Broadway, but if we go listen to what they're, have on their headphones right now, they're listening to music, they're listening to contemporary music, rock and roll, country, rap, you name it, they're listening to it. And we said, well, we have this, what we feel like is a great company. We have all these passionate people who love stuff like music. Why don't we try that? And we said, well, let's look at the industry and see if there's room for us. And as we started kind of diving into the world of the music business, we saw a lot of similar problems that we saw on Broadway back in the day. People were frustrated with the merchandising opportunities that were afforded to them. There was a lot of kind of, I will call it, vendor mentality as opposed to producer or artist mentality on what they wanted the merchandising to be. And we started pitching and, you know, cut to about five years in. I think you know, we're one of the big players now in, on the music side in terms of Merchandising. We just finished Beyonce's tour. um, We handled Britney Spears in Vegas to Lincoln Park to the Lumineers, Run the Jewels. I mean, we have all a very eclectic array of music artists who have entrusted us with their with their brand. And it's very interesting that the the brand for a show, yes, it 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 kind of gets set at one point, and it, it it can evolve to a degree, but it doesn't. Radically change the way an artist can with an entire new album or albums. So, you know, Britney Spears has fans who have been following her for 20 years now. And they are as crazy and as kooky a group of people as you could ever imagine. And it's great. I mean, but it allows us to really push the envelope in terms of what we can create. And our design team, is terrific. And our product development team, I mean, they're passionate. Merchandise people, and they like Michael said, they love music, but I think they also love the opportunity to work with brands like Beyonce or Britney Spears or, or, or Lincoln Park, and and really flex their muscles. And they're motivated because we get the opportunity to get in front of these great artists, and they're creating stuff that hopefully sets us apart from the competition because. We really are trying to tell a story, just like we're storytellers on Broadway, but I think we're storytellers in the music world too, in terms of how their brands grow and expand and, and evolve over time. How, do you think it's important or essential that all Broadway producers today have another business, another revenue stream? Should everyone look for something they can do like you? So? Well, ideally you just have a lot of money to start with. Right? <laughs> and then you are <laughs> not to worry about it. <laughs> no, it doesn't work out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, like, we, well, we, we need more merch companies, like we need holes in the head. So anyone listening who are thinking that's a good idea, please don't. Cause there are like, I think I, at last count, there are like 12 different merch companies. Well, after on y- your success. Like, any producer and, around Any smug right can do it. Right? right? Yeah, like, right. right. How hard can it be? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, certainly I think it helps to be involved in some other aspect of the business because I think it helps you get a better sense of the business as a whole. So, you know, I think our years as general managers were critical for us because it really helped us understand, oh, well, what is a load in? What goes on at a load in? What is a crew call? You know, do we need, just to understand, oh, there's day work that goes on for costing. Oh, okay. Well, if you don't understand all that stuff, I think it's hard to really produce well at as at a lead producer level. But some people might have the passion for marketing, some people might have a passion for promotions. I mean um, but Broadway's a cyclical business too, yeah. right? As we can all attest to. So it has has highs and lows and ups and downs and so if you have something within your yourself or your company or your organization that is outside of that cycle but sort of lives at a more consistent basis. It's, yeah, it's I mean, you, I mean you're a customer, yeah. exactly. Whether you, it's you, having your own theater, yeah, or yeah, yeah, whatever. It, it's it's part of growing any business. You know, it's managing cash flow and and, and debt and risk and all those things that that any business talks about. It's the same for us. And by having those other outlets, whether it's as a marketer or theater owner or what what have you. That helps, I think, defray that risk. It gives you chances to grow and take risks in your producing business. I mean, I think you know we're able today to develop and nurture new works in a way that only happens because we have this merchandising business, right? We can only feed that part of ourselves and that passion that we have because we're fortunate that we have an ongoing business that has you know the means to let us be risk takers and to. Develop a a new musical that someone else might say, oh, I I don't know. That's too risky for me. You know, we're able to do that because we have this other part of the business. You guys were the young guns on Broadway 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. Now, as you look back, what, what's changed? What's the biggest change you've seen on Broadway since you got started? Well, I think there's so many good shows. Like, there's just so many shows. I mean, I, I think I read something that you wrote where you're talking about two megas potentially coming down the road, we know Harry Potter will be one, and Frozen will be one, that there's just, we're, we're not the first to say it, it's like we're in the next golden age of Broadway, and that there's so much product that your producing philosophy becomes very much, well, when you get a call from one of the big three that says you have a venue, but then once you get a venue, then you produce, your your producing strategy falls into place after that. You know, we're, you know, co-producers on Spongebob just going to have a venue, you know, in the fall, you hope summer, I don't know. But we have this great show. We got great reviews, fully capitalized, and we don't have a venue yet because there's so many, every venue has, you know, one, two, three backups where back in the day when we were starting out, there were always venues available and you didn't see the Schoenfeld and the Jacobs. Having musicals in that, you know, it's all about plates. We're going into those venues, if if at all. So to me, that's the the biggest change. Is just it's so darn competitive because there's so much good stuff happening. Advice to the young guns out there listening right now for getting started today in this different environment, how they would do it. Well, I, you have to you self-starters, yeah. I think, and doing producing. You know, your own work is the key. Knowing every aspect of the business as much as you can, it still helps. You know, I think you can't be you can't have too much experience on that ground up level because, yes, the risks are bigger and the numbers are much bigger when you get to Broadway. But anybody who's able to get hands on experience doing as many different aspects of putting on a show as possible, I think, is still essential because when you you come right down to it, if you if you haven't actually done some of it yourself, it's really hard to be a leader in a room of people who are looking to you to make those key decisions if you've never hung a light or you've never run a box office or you've never had to do the marketing or you've never had to do the press or something else. You know, as much as you can learn. You know, the Broadway League is doing this new program. I'm on this committee. We're doing this Rising Stars, chat, you know, a program. You don't know if you've heard about it where the League has picked... Four people from existing companies who were nominated, they had to go through a, a vetting process and all this, where you know, you're getting someone from the presenting world, someone from general management, someone from a producing office, and I think someone from maybe even a press office or something, and they get to meet with sort of the top industry professionals and learn about general management, producing, presenting, booking, all the different parts of the business, because it's getting harder and harder for someone, I think, to, to get experience in all those different fields. And so I think any chance someone has to get exposure to one of those different jobs and different tasks is a, is a huge asset as they go further and further in their career. Partners are very important on Broadway. You guys are obviously partners, and you're also brothers. How do you deal with it when you don't agree on something? I accept his apology, and then we move on. Once he knew I was always right, <laughs> it was simpler. That was, uh, you know, we all, we, 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 all, we all disagree that much, honestly. So yeah. that's, that's, yeah. And but was, usually, and again, with our third partner, Hank, I mean, it's, for us, usually the easiest decision is the creative one. Like, we'll see sort of the creative nub of it, and then the devil will be in the details of so how do we get there, you know, and our tastes have always been similarly along. You, you know, Hank, Michael, and I, the three of us, we're always, I would say nine and a half times out of ten on the same page about what we like and what we think will work. So that's always a big part of it. You know, the rest is effort and determination and being foolhardy, you know, all those things. Okay. My last question, which is my James Lipton like question. I also call it my genie question. Mm -hmm. I want you to imagine that the genie from Aladdin came to see you, knocked on your door and said, Guys, I want to thank you for everything you've done for Broadway, the great show, the risks you've taken for outfitting all of us in fantastic t-shirts, and I want to thank you by granting you one wish. What's the one thing that drives you the craziest about Broadway, that gets you so angry, that can keep you screaming on the phone for banging stuff? The one thing that you'd ask this genie to wish away, I should have you both write it on a piece of paper and see <laughs> yeah. if it matches But but uh, we'll let you both answer. Well, look, I and mean, I think we probably both get frustrated by all of the same things that every producer does, right? There's too many premium ticket pricing is out of control, or there's too many shows and not enough theaters, or union agreements aren't what we want them to be, you know. So I'm sure I would be repeating what others have said if I picked one of those. But if I had a a magic wand, because I'm in the spirit of magic we'll keep it in that, I wish I could get all of our creative talents calendars to line up. Because it is the, literally, I think it's, and I hear it more and more often that developing a show right now is fifty percent calendar management. Because you have these amazing writers, whether it's book writers, composers, lyricists, directors, choreographers. You know, to do a musical, it is it does take a village, and to get those twelve or fifteen key people to all be available at the same place at the same time to work on a show is really complex, right? Mean, because there's so many. Like we've said, on so many shows in development. And so you're constantly, I think, bartering with, okay, well, we have these two weeks in April that everyone's actually available, so we have to do something. And therefore, you're having to take a, a step and you really need four weeks but you only can get to. So then what do you do at that time? You know, if you had a magic wand, you'd say, well, actually what I want to do is have four weeks in May when everyone's available and we just do it and we know people are going to be in town because the Tony Awards are coming up so we can do our big presentation and we'll get everyone to show up and it's fully rehearsed and ready to go. But you can't do that because you only have the two weeks in April. So then you adapt and you adjust and you figure it out. But that's, I think, one of the toughest things. I hear from many producers. Yeah. I, I face the issue all the time, all yeah. the time, getting, getting tougher and tougher. Because of the venue problem as well, we can't guarantee when our shows are going to go, so the creatives book out like crazy because they need to feed their kids as well. Your genie answer? Uh, I'll take two things. I would say bigger lobby space for more merchandising (laughs) booths. And two, I would say I'd love to eliminate playbill, the, the free playbills that you get, so that we could do one, kind of combo brochure like we do in London and sell them all for 10 bucks. We'd make a killing. We'd save the environment, all the wasted paper that are just littering uh, theater lobbies at at the end of a show. Uh, Everyone would make more money and the earth would help. We'd be very happy with us for that. I love it. this. Is why you guys make a great partners? we producing yeah, with, yeah, the merch yeah, with, yeah, it all boat. worked out. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you so much for guys for doing this. Thanks yeah, to yeah. all of you for listening out there. We will see you next time. Have a great last week of 2016, everybody. Shut the door on it and open the door to 2017. It's going to be a great year for all of us.